Welcome to the Finally Marketing Networks podcast. We all know marketing is a very vast array of things and services. You will see kind of the evolution of marketing. We're going to interview guests from all walks of life. Stay tuned and enjoy the Finally Marketing Networks podcast. In just a few moments, you're going to hear from Matt Arts, who is a business anthropologist. And if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself, what is that? Well, lucky for you guys, we dive into that on the podcast today in just a few moments. So stay tuned for the next episode of the Finally Marketing Networks podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Finally Marketing Networks podcast. I'm here with another new friend, Matt, over in the Philadelphia area. Matt, how you doing today, sir? Good. How's it going, Mitchell? Super good over here, man. I know you said you just recently moved to the Philadelphia area. Is the, what do you think of it so far? Have you, are you automatically an Eagles fan now that you moved to Philadelphia? Uh, the, the area is good. We're having a good time. To be frank, I don't watch sports, so I can't comment on it. Uh, but we like the area. You know, we got out of Jersey City, which we also love. But, um, you know, we gave up some things, picked up some others. Mainly, we picked up some space, gave up some urban urban attributes. But it's all good. Thanks. Cool. Well, welcome to, welcome to, that, to that Philadelphia area. I, w- I would love for you to um, just kind of introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell them who you are, what you do, what the day-to-day life of Matt looks like, and uh, what all those – I know you're into a lot of different things, so go help pass it off to you to do that. Okay, thanks. Well, appreciate it. Um, and thanks for having me on. I'm glad to share with your guests. So so I'm a design anthropologist, which kind of is like nestled in the broader concept of business anthropology. So basically on a day-to-day basis, how I apply that, that worldview is in product innovation or product development. So I'm the head of product and experience for Cloud Shadow Consulting, where we build software products. We build our own products that we market and, and, you know, and, and, and sell. And then we also have a consulting arm where we build products for others. So that's sort of my day job, if you will, um, basically leading that process, which involves research, design, and uh, managing the software engineering component, not like telling engineers how to build something per se, but just sort of leading the process, making sure that everybody has what they need, defining requirements, et cetera. Outside of that, um, I also have two podcasts. One is Anthropology and Business. One is Anthro to UX. Anthropology and Business is a little bit broader, a little bit more sort of like target at mid-career, a little bit dives a little bit deeper. Uh, it broadly looks at how all the ways we apply anthropology in the business space. Anthro to UX is... Uh, it was essentially like a thought leadership sort of outreach, if you will, uh, related to my Anthro to UX coaching company, which helps anthropologists break into UX. And with that podcast, we're very much talking about the journey of others into UX to share that with with other anthropologists so that they can hopefully find themselves in somebody else's story, identify with that, and maybe see a path forward, uh, if you will. And then um, I also create music, visual art. And uh, I mean, I do that as a hobby, but it's something I'm passionate about. So I think I'll, I'll pause there. That that probably gives you enough. Yeah, no, that's a that's a ton. You're you're a busy guy. It sounds like. So how how these people that want to get into to UX, do you think they should do something where they they stop cold turkey if they're you know an anthropologist and they switch over, or they do in their day job still and they and they do this um, do it on the side with you and your company? What's kind of that happy medium you've seen? So. Um, I'll answer the question, but also maybe just kind of clear up a few things. So one, anthropology, like most people don't, to be quite frank, most people don't have a firm sense of what anthropology is. Anthropologists historically have had to tell others kind of like what we do. 
And in the U.S., it's sort of like a four-field approach of archaeology, linguistic, physical, and cultural. Um, and then there's sort of an applied version of cultural, which, you know, there's debates of like, is it is it part of anthropology? Is it not? And, you know, there's, there's all these academic debates that we don't need to get into, but it's a very real thing. And essentially applied anthropology is where I come from. And it's, again, it's sort of the application of cultural anthropology to real world, modern problems. And we approach those problems from this sort of holistic perspective in which we're trying to understand, you know, groups of people and how the, you know, the interactions between them and something like a technology product, not just the interface, but how does that change society, you know, bigger kind of picture questions. And so in applied anthropology, there are many ways to apply that. Some people go into medical. I went into sort of the design tech space, if you will, and today many anthropologists are doing that. When we do that, we oftentimes end up in what is called today user experience or UX for short. And so in the UX world, um, it's sort of broken into two things, research and design. Design kind of gets a lot of the press, but research is really what powers the design. Otherwise, you just have designers who are sort of you know, designing by their quote-unquote expertise. Um, you know, which might get you most of the way there, but it usually, it almost certainly doesn't get you all of the way there. And so, you know, research is what really sort of supercharges UX as a practice. And anthropologists or maybe other social scientists would like to say typically that like the social theory that we particularly bring to UX research is what supercharges that. So lots of people have moved into UX research and many people do the tactical kind of research really well, the, the basic blocking and tackling of quote unquote usability, you know, which is very much interface oriented. But if you want to get bigger and really understand, you know, again, how something like a digital product is influencing society, such as, you know, how Facebook ads during elections are really impacting democracy, that takes, you know, that goes, that has to go a deeper level. And to do that, you need to bring in social theory. And so anthropologists, along with sociologists and other social scientists, have that kind of benefit that we're trained in social theory, how to apply social theory, and of course, how to do research in a rigorous way. And so we bring that value add into the UX research process over, say, a designer who's just switched and gone into UX research or you know, a business student who's gone into that. So that's our particular, you know, uh, uh, again, value add or sort of perspective. Now, um, so that kind of helps explain what is anthropology, what is UX, and what is the relationship between the two. Uh, again, not all anthropologists go into UX. Some go in many other directions, and that's fine. But UX is a great one, good paying salaries, impactful work. You know, we get to drive uh, the development of products in really critical ways that shape society. So it's it's really an, a wonderful opportunity. So going off of that, then what you're saying, if, if would you guys also then as a service for, for companies or corporations, if you go, hey, somebody on this app we made we want to make sure that they are we're capitalizing on what the actions that the people are doing on this app specifically do you guys kind of dive into the data of an app to say hey we need to change colors we need to change this because they're not clicking on this area of the app is it kind of like getting into the psychology of of what how people interact with different applications so um yes Sort of. So we can, of, of course, do that work. And the work you just described is basically usability. And, and there are plenty of anthropologists who are working in that sort of tactical space to improve the interface. Um, 
But there's also many of us who are working in more foundational research, which much more clearly relates to strategy, big picture. And I can, I'll give an example of that, and I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. As for your other comment about like this sort of psychological perspective, so there are many applied um, psychologists who work in UX and bring a valuable perspective of the sort of mind and individual. But anthropology is different than that because we're really interested in uh, groups, you know, so basically two or more always, not like the individual mind, because we are more so of the perspective that, you know, the individual mind is sort of shaped by the culture that, you know, you're within. And of course, there's an interplay there. There's a sort of reflexive relationship um, to a degree, but we are very much concerned with bigger cultural patterns as anthropologists. Now, as far as the example, so, um, you know, yes, we, again, we, many of us do tactical research, either full-time, part-time, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, an example of that could be, like you said, something maybe color related, though, again, color is cultural. So it's, you know, there's, there's even deeper dimensions to color, if you will, to color theory. Now, um, Another, you know, a sort of tactical usability type example could be, you know, we have in some sort of onboarding process, right, a registration process. Maybe you want somebody out on your website to sign up for like an ebook, well, like a, you know, some kind of document that you're giving away, which you're using for, say, thought leadership purposes, and you want to sort of scale the number of people who are registering to get that. You could look at some data and see, well, okay, they're getting to the page, but they're bailing out of the process. They're not completing. So you have a signal, but you still don't know why it's happening. You might infer, well, we need to do something there and change it, but you still don't have it, have an answer. A lot of people will just go ahead and change it and kind of tinker around, run some tests and, you know, hope to get lucky. Depending on time, budget, you know, just what the project is, what the, what the potential ROI is, you know, if you can talk to people or better yet, even observe people, you know, interacting with that, you know, that, that sort of point that's breaking down, you can start to see what's happening. And observing is always better than talking. Uh, people very frequently will tell you one thing and they do something different. So in anthropology, we believe in observing sort of as our primary method. Uh, that doesn't mean to say you need to observe in every single situation because observing can be very costly and timely. You know, there are some problems that are easy enough to solve, but where applicable, you know, we like to observe and sort of interact with the person in their real context so we can see how they go about it. So now in a bigger picture, how this all relates to like, you know, more foundational work or more strategic work. Um, I was doing some work for a Fortune 10. We were digitizing some systems. We were, well, we were brought in to digitize some systems. They, you know, they had a project sponsor who just wanted to basically take these offline processes, digitize it from the perspective of what they knew and they were in leadership. So quite frankly, they didn't have a very good understanding of what was going on at the ground level because of just where they were in the sort of the organizational hierarchy. So we went out, we observed, and we not only noticed that there was all these sort of offline processes that really nobody had talked about, nobody had even understood that like all these workarounds were happening and that they too needed to be digitized. But we took that a step further, looking at kind of communication and where breakdowns were happening in the organization as a whole and recommended really like a governance model because simply digitizing the process wasn't going to work. Whereas what you needed was actually added buy-in around sort of all these things that had to happen. And so, you know, an example like that is how you can kind of take it a little further. Or right now we're building our own product in the art space. In the art space, if you know anything about it, it's very difficult for uh, people to break into the industry, uh, especially those of, of color or those who have been disempowered for any given reason. 
you know, historically speaking. And so if you're going to digitize the art world, you're just going to digitize those prompts. And you'll see that in most art marketplaces. There's tons of art on there. Most people don't ever sell anything. Most people don't ever come up in the recommender systems. So if you build a new one, if you build like, you know, a quote unquote, bigger, better mousetrap, I mean, it's not really going to be better. You're still going to more or less have those problems. You need to do something different, right? And look at how uh, those offline issues of access, inclusion, and what's the root cause of all those in society, and then try to sort of fix those before you just digitize those and really quite frankly, amplify them in a digital space. And that then leads to, you know, then in the project we're working on, leads directly to a product vision and ultimately the strategy that really guides all of the design after that. And, you know, it's much more than just sort of improving the overall look of the interface. So there's a lot to this. Uh, and so how does someone even, I know obviously degrees to get in this, but how do you, I just, there's so many pieces and it's uh, multifaceted, I feel like, how do you how do you get into this to begin with? And how do you have all that knowledge? Is you constantly having to, to read books and articles to have that in your mind? Or is it kind of all from your degree that you, is just up there in your head of how to make those processes and, and design all that stuff? Well, so, you know, good... Well, I'll start with UX. So UX is a relatively new role in the grand scheme of, of IT jobs. I mean, that doesn't mean it's a few years old. It's, you know, it's, it's much more... Uh, it's been around many more years than people realize, but it, in the grand scheme of things compared to like software engineering, it's very, very young. So it's a maturing industry. There are really no degrees for UX at this point in time. I mean, things are starting to pop up. There's courses, there's maybe specializations within programs, but you don't really see like dedicated higher education programs for the most part. There's things that are related like human computer interaction at Carnegie Mellon, which is a wonderful program. You know, and there's sort of adjacent things from the earlier days of UX when it was called things like, like human computer interaction. Um, arguably, UX has sort of taken, uh, sucked in HCI and expanded on it a bit. Um, but so there's there's not really a track for most people to kind of go and get like schooled in a deep way yet, but that's coming rapidly. There's plenty of uh, educational institutions that are bringing, again, courses or tracks or specializations, and that process is starting. Even myself, I teach. And so I've been, you know, proposing those courses at various institutions and now, you know, have some that are running. So that will get, that will sort of fix itself um, over time. But a UX course, depending on how it's structured, may or may not really go into like deeply into social theory and, you know, may not be as rigorous, you know, depending on how it's taught. Um, if you want something like that, you can certainly go to for an, an anthropology degree, whether it's a good program at the master's level. I went to UNT, which is a explicitly applied anthropology program meant to teach people in these kind of skills to come out and work in, in the business world. Uh, or a PhD program, which is typically going to be in cultural anthropology. There's no real applied anthropology PhD programs because like the nature of doing applied work is different than what a PhD is sort of structured for. And so... Um, but you could certainly go to a PhD work, a PhD program, and get trained, you know, in rigorous research and understanding like big socio-technical systems and how to make connections. But then you're going to come out and sort of upskill on the UX and like the very practical, just what are the terms in UX, what are the terms in business. So there's no one great path, but certainly getting an anthropological degree or even a sociology degree 
psychology degree, uh, you know, they're all valuable from their own perspectives. And then combining that with some good UX training along the way will serve you well. I mean, there's still business skills you need. There are still uh, basic things about uh, software engineering and design that would be helpful, but you know, that will at least put you in a good place. And is this something once you have that training, you people can do something completely on their own, like freelance this, or is it really something you should probably get in under a company to kind of get your feet wet and to help them with the UX side of things? Or can you kind of do both typically? Yeah, you could do both. Um, I would generally suggest to people when I'm coaching people, if I get them early enough in their academic trajectory, I typically recommend that they start trying to do projects early on. So, you know, if you're an applied program, frequently you're going to have projects that will contribute to having a portfolio that then you can shop around for, you know, if you're running your own practice or if you want to get hired. Um, but either way, you know, the sooner you can get your hands on doing the work, the better, because we learn through experience, right? And you can learn all as much as you want in the programs, um, but doing your first research project is like really where you roll up your sleeves and start to make sense of it in many ways. And so the sooner somebody can just, uh, even if they're volunteering, you know, um, just find something locally, find something in their current organization if they're working somewhere, you know, even if it's not their main role, just find a project to do, you know, anything that they can kind of get some practice doing the work and build a portfolio will contribute to them, whether they want to be a consultant or, you know, an internal researcher. Okay. And so I know the people listening to this podcast are, you know, mostly business owners who are wanting to learn things that they can do to help better market their company. And I think UX is obviously a huge piece of marketing. So somebody who's listening to this, maybe they're a small business, they can't afford to hire a huge firm to help them with user experience. Would you give them any type of, you know, advice or tips that you would say, like, hey, here's what you should really focus on on maybe your your website or is there any type of user experience that they should do inside their store or on the phone? Is there how how vast does it get? But what kind of advice would you give the people listening? Well, so I, you know, I don't think I would it would be fair to tell anybody that they should do one particular thing, like, say, their website or whatever it may be. What I think I would recommend is to sort of approach things like an anthropologist, even if you are not trained as one. So um, try to approach, you know, with a very open mind, check your bias to the best of your ability at the door, observe as much as possible, look for the patterns in that. Don't just go off of your sort of quote unquote expert opinion, or even if you are an expert, like, you know, quote, even if you are deemed to be an expert in your field, you know, you are going to have biases, some of which could actually come from being an expert. And getting in in the field, you know, getting in context with your customers or your employees, whatever it may be, whatever kind of experience you wish to improve, uh, whether that's an interface and from a UX perspective, whether that's your customer experience, whether that's your employee experience, if you really want to understand, you know, get in context with those individuals. Think of them as humans, not as users. Observe, talk to them with an open mind and learn from them and sort of trust what you're hearing. Our opinions oftentimes as we get in leadership are sort of very distorted about like the reality on the ground. And so we need to really learn from others and then combine that with it, our expert opinion to sort of solve the problems 
But let this sort of observational interview-like approach and this sort of broad holistic vision allow you to help identify the problem space. And then from there, use your expertise to sort of solution the issue, you know, the, to solution it. And correct me if I'm wrong, because one of the things we'll tell clients typically is, you know, we like so we handle you know, online reviews for for clients and what they get on Google or Facebook, and we from from the we usually tell them it's hard for the business owner to respond to like a negative review, for instance, because they're so close to the business and it's hard to take the emotion out of it, and they're just they're in it all day long. And so when I come in and say, hey, we'll respond to it because we don't have the emotion behind it. Same with their marketing in general so we come in and like suggesting things on their their website to change and they're like oh i never thought about that or i didn't even think of that because they're just so close and it's hard to have that outside perspective because you're in it all day long and it's the same thing for me in my own business i'll have uh, other people on my team or even family or friends they'll say oh it'd be cool if you did this or made this change and i'm like man, thank you, because I just look at it and I see it all day long. So it's really hard for me to critique my own stuff, but it's easy for me to critique clients' accounts. Is that kind of what you're am I talking about there too? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the as anthropologists, we're trained to sort of take an outsider perspective and at some point sort of zoom in and also sort of look at it from an insider perspective and sort of find the, you know, kind of compare and contrast, if you will, um, but yeah, that you want to start with that outsider perspective first, because that's really going to help uncover things that normally you just look past. Man, that's good. I know I'd mentioned this before we started chatting. So in your business, obviously, it's not just a, the typical small business. So to market your business, to find um, to find people to come on board, to become involved in UX, or maybe as a teaching, getting students under you. Uh, how have you gone about marketing your company uh, to get in front of people? Is there something that's worked better than others, maybe just networking or referrals or word of mouth? Or is there something, is there something you've tried because you thought it was just the best idea and it completely flopped and it didn't do anything at all for you? I'd love to hear if there's any cool, cool stories there. Sure. Well, um, so the Anthro to UX is intentionally a side business from my day job. But what I did there is start a podcast to basically help others. But of course, it's also, you know, a, a marketing tool and it does make people aware of the services. And that has been the largest funnel. Aside from that, referrals, um, you know, and referrals are great, of course, right? If it's sort of a very warm lead and then just networking. You know, I've, I find with networking, obviously in the past year, it's been online as opposed to to in-person for most of us, if not all, you know, I pretty much only use LinkedIn. I can be found on Twitter and other such places, but I don't use them much. It's, in my opinion, it is hard to do all of them well as one person, especially if you have other activities going on in your life. I have my day job. I, you know, I make music. I, you know, I'm married. I, I get all these things. So I focus on one and try to do it well, as opposed to sort of being on everything and not really doing any of them well. And that's good. The was a jack of all trades, master of none. So yeah, trying to be on all of them and doing horrible at all of them instead of really good at one. And I think you're picking the best one you could be on out of all of them anyways. I think LinkedIn for, for you and this specifically is going to be the best fit for you. So that's no, good. If you were to leave anybody with, I know we kind of mentioned this just a little bit ago for like advice, but if there was a couple nuggets you wanted to share with somebody who was listening, like that one big takeaway that they could 
leave today and go, man, I'm going to try and do that maybe with my business or personally, uh, what will be some of those those nuggets you'd want to leave them with? Well, yeah, like, you know, the perspective that we discussed earlier is the biggest one. Other than that, there's a new book by Jillian Ted, who's like lead editorial, maybe lead editor of the U.S., but basically at the Financial Times. Um, you know, wonderful mind. She's great communicator. She just wrote a book, Anthrovision, which distills down the perspective we talked about today in in popular terms that any business owner would make sense of. And she's, you know, she's called, she called the, uh, the you know, 2008, 2009 financial collapse before it happened because of what she, you know, her, her background in anthropology and cultural anthropology allowed her to see what was happening in the culture of Wall Street that was leading to this. And she's made a number of other important calls in her life. Um, tributes most of it to her anthropological skills the way she looks at the world, and she's just written a fantastic book, super easy to read, great examples, you know, just good, a good way of describing complex topics. And so if anybody got interested in the perspective I talked about today or the type of work that we do, I think her book will help summarize and crystallize all of that. So it's a unofficial plug for her. Oh, fantastic. And before I let you go, I'd love if you're, I know there's, you know, certain things you probably can't share because it's client client related. Is there any like super cool story or a win you can share of like, man, we had this this client we were working with and this was happening, but we did this thing related to what we know, UX, and it tripled their business and it did this instead. It, any really fun, I'm sure you got some really cool ones, but anything you're able to share with the audience without obviously a ton of specifics probably. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, there's an example I give that is super simple. And it almost seems crazy. Um, I will use it without, of course, dollar figures attached to it. But we at one point took over a client. They had a website. They had an e-commerce site. They, for a particular, they are a vendor of a very, very large apparel company. You know, one of the largest in the world. They were one of the original vendors for them. Um, or resellers, I guess. And they had a special agreement as a result of that. Because of that special agreement, they weren't able to show the pricing on the website because the pricing was very competitive compared to what most other people had. So when we took over this account, one of the main problems was they weren't selling anything, basically. Nobody knew, uh, you know, basically they, they just weren't, they could understand why. They worked with other client companies, they just couldn't figure it out. And all we did was use a method from sort of UX, but it really is like sort of has its grounding in anthropology. In UX, it's called contextual inquiry. I sat down with a few people, asked them to, you know, complete a series of tasks related to their use of the website. And, you know, within, it might have been six to eight people, we realized that nobody had any idea that it was an e-commerce site because, again, the prices weren't shown and there was a complex sort of login flow, which, again, was related to things about this business relationship they had with the, the apparel company. And so for all of the, for a few good reasons, they designed the site in such a way where nobody understood it was an e-commerce site and thus they never sold. All we had to do to fix it was click here to log in, you know, click here to see, log in to see the price, clean up the login flow just slightly. And, wow. you, know, you know, they sold quite a bit after that. But my point of saying, of using that example is, is that people tried to solve that problem previously, but again, people were trying to solve it from an expert perspective. 
never from a human perspective, never talking to any humans who would use the, the actual product. And as a result, they never solved the problem. Man, so good, Matt. Thank you for that. Uh, if, if people are listening, they want to get in touch with you. I know you mentioned LinkedIn. Is there any, if you want to you know, put, it, put in your, your website or how they can specifically find you before we, we hop off? Uh, so again, name is Matt Arts, M-A-T-T-A-R-T-Z. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the best place to get in touch with me. But my website is mattarts.me. And there you can find you know anything f- about my anthropological work, my genetics research and my TED Talk, my companies, my podcast, the music I create, et cetera. So. Fantastic. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. And I appreciate it and wish you nothing but the best with uh, your future and obviously the new place in Philadelphia. Likewise. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Well, after finishing today's episode, you might need some time to digest what you just heard. We dove into a lot of stuff about UX, user experience, and how important that is. And it is, guys. It is very, very important for your business or nonprofit or school that you might have. Think about the user experience that they have, these people who are using you on a weekly, monthly, daily basis. How can you improve your user experience so it's easier for them to use you or refer you or use you again? It's so important if we don't pay attention to it and we just ignore it and go, ah, if they really, really like me or they really love me, they'll find a way to use me. That's not a good outlook to have on this. So we need to always be improving and making our user experience the best it can be. Think about the applications that you use on a daily or weekly basis and the ones that are just the easiest ones to use, the ones that are just simple. And I'll give you a personal experience for me is the Domino's pizza app. Uh, I had, actually had not had Domino's, I think almost in my entire life, maybe one time uh, earlier this year. Then my brother was like, oh, you got to try Domino's. And he ordered a pizza and I tried it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is delicious. Like I didn't think it was going to be that good. And he showed me the app. I downloaded the app and I was just shocked. I'd heard about the app from their marketing and their commercials. Guys, it is just a beautiful piece of technology that Domino's created, how you can pick all your toppings and order it, and and they tell you who's making the pizza and if it's in the oven and if it's done and ready to be picked up. There's all these technological things. The experience is amazing, and it makes me like, oh, I can't wait to order again so I have that same user experience. They've paid attention to it, and they've kind of made themselves like they're a tech company that sells pizza instead of a tech company that sells iPhones and all that stuff. Uh, it's crazy, but their user experience is important because they listened to what people wanted and what they needed and they made that product and people enjoy it. And of course, they're you know ginormous pizza company. Whether you love or hate their pizza, I feel like you got to respect and love the technology that they created. So that is, uh, I'll leave you guys with that one. But we, uh, we want you to improve your user experience and learn from these ones that you use on a weekly basis. What are they doing that you love and how can you take that and take a little piece of it and do it on your own business as well? All right, I'll get off my soapbox. We'll be here next week with another awesome guest on the Finally Marketing That Works podcast. We'll see you then.